Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It was when you came on your official visit, they played like the old school movie with the four horsemen and uh, the old school Notre Dame. And you got the, and there's a. Now that's a follow-up question, <laughs> Eric Hansen. That's a heck of a follow-up question right there. If you can be physical and if you can take the breath out of somebody by hitting them, man, it don't matter how many yards or, or what the offense is or what the schemes are, that, that'll always be the same. But I still think there's a place for Notre Dame and the ideals of Notre Dame football in the wide, broad scope of the sport right now. Uh, Eric, I'm hoping I don't run into you in South Bend because you'll probably cost me around a drink. From the South Bend Tribune and ND Insider, this is the Pot of Gold Podcast with Tyler James and Eric Hansen. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Pot of Gold and ND Insider Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football for ND Insider and the South Bend Tribune. Everything around us has uh, changed pretty significantly since the last time we recorded a podcast, which was March 11th. It's sort of hard to believe that that was only 15 days ago. Um, The coronavirus pandemic has shut down the sports world, and we've been doing our part in socially distancing ourselves. Uh, We're recording today from our respective homes, so hopefully you can bear with us on the sound quality. Um, We're testing our arm strength as well to keep the phones up to our ears for that long. But we wanted to put another podcast together to help inform and entertain you guys during this difficult time. Uh, So we're going to spend the next 20 minutes listening to Eric recap episodes of The Voice for us, I think. (laughs) There were some good ones. (laughs) So, Eric, let's start there. What have you been doing to keep yourself occupied, obviously, besides uh, us finding things to work on? Yeah, I've um, spent a lot of time keeping in touch with my family, especially my mom who lives in Ohio, she's 90, and and really trying to make sure that she's in a good place. I wondered at some point if she needed to be here with me, and she is, of course, very independent. She's got one of my siblings that lives with her, and so she's in good, good place. I have watched a lot of The Voice, both the U.S. and the U.K. version. All right. Um, so haven't watched a lot of TV screens, enough. And then the other thing is I've done a lot of spring cleaning, both inside and outside of the house. Um, you know, I, I like to have, be able to go outside when the weather's not 27 below zero and, and kind of get some fresh air and so forth. So that's kind of been it. And just coming up with story ideas. And, and you and I and Carter and our new sports editor and Tom have been chatting a lot and, and communicating. So that's kind of where I've been with things. How about you? Yeah, watching a lot of TV. I, I watch a, probably an obscene amount of TV in the first place. <laughs> uh, but I, there's always other TV shows that I want to get into that I haven't had a chance to. And so more free time allows me to do that a little bit. I play a lot of video games, too. Um, Call of Duty Modern Warfare Warzone is the most 
uh, is the newest one. They've, they really uh, hit the jackpot in terms of releasing their game around the right time with everyone now being stuck at home. So uh, playing a lot of video games, doing some more involved cooking um, rather than quick yep. meals. I've been trying to uh, eat healthy um, so that calls, requires more cooking at home, but also trying to support some of the local restaurants too. So balancing between that, but yeah, to, you have some more time to do some recipes that maybe um, you would want to do on your day off. But if you're not leaving the house, you can, you can work that in between getting some work done. Um, and uh, so that's a, been a good way to keep me occupied. I, I find that I've, I've handled it pretty well in terms of the isolation. I, I don't know what that says about me, um, but I, I think yeah. I've got pretty good spirits. I, I know my family as well. We, we've been in contact a lot. My mom's trying to set up a uh, video call for all of us to be on at the same time, me and my two brothers and my, my parents. So just getting our schedules to all line up, even though we're all um, pretty much uh, stuck at home for our jobs and stuff, we still um, have to figure that out. So we're hoping to do that this weekend, but um, staying in good spirits otherwise, but uh, it's certainly interesting trying to figure out what we're going to cover um, with, without the, the normal spring football schedule. Um, and, uh, certainly I think we lose out in, in terms of what we could potentially be learning about Notre Dame. Certainly there's going to be lots of questions that we will have to, to answer moving forward. And, uh, I, we don't, none of us know how this is all going to really play out when it, when it will be back to normal, um, how it will impact Notre Dame in the long run. But I think just to switch over to football talk, how do you think spring football being canceled will affect Notre Dame's roster development? What, what are the areas that you think? Uh, Notre Dame should be maybe concerned about um, and uh, are there any players specifically that you think this is hurt in terms of them being able to take advantage of of an important spring practice time for them yeah uh, you know the trick part of that question is whether they'd be able to get something in the in the summer beyond just conditioning as Brian Kelly talked about on the Scott Van Pelt uh, sports center last night. Right. Um, if, if they don't have any, let's say there's no traditional spring practice. So I'm going to answer the question that way. And what, what I think would probably be, be the areas of the team that suffer the most. I'd start with cornerbacks yep. because they have a new coach. They're mostly inexperienced. And so they're going to, you know, suffer from not, being able to experience the teaching that Mike Mickens would have in terms of technique, in terms of kind of understanding what's going on with the defense. I mean, they can watch a lot of film, but I think that position group especially needs time on the field to learn how Mike Mickens and, and Terry Joseph want to see them play. Um, the second group I thought would suffer some is the wide receivers. They're really talented and exciting group, but how are they going to foster timing and chemistry with Ian Book? They're not going to be able to do that um, for the foreseeable future. And then uh, I look at Book and the QBs. I mean, who are they throwing to? You know, does Ian Book have his mom and dad go out for passes in the backyard or something? Um, And same with the other quarterbacks. And then probably last, the offensive line, just because of chemistry and and trying to get things in sync, even though they had some pieces missing, uh, you know, there there were some people coming back from injuries or people that had injuries. Right. But I think that's the group that really kind of needs to work together to get some continuity. But, you know, I, I mean, all the 
all the teams are kind of going to kind of be in the same boat, even if right. they had spring practice. Yeah. Um, they're all going to be kind of similar. Yeah, because even even the teams that have started spring practice, usually the first couple spring practices are the least important because you're just trying to get every, right. all the cobwebs out and get everyone on the same page, and then you start really building on stuff and, and installing some things and uh, and getting to the meat of what you want to do in the spring. So I don't know that a lot of teams were able to benefit too much from getting an early start on spring. Um, we'll see if for for if the NCA can figure out a way to maybe allow the teams that didn't get a enough spring into into a certain part of the summer allow them to do different things in the summer than they normally would be allowed to um but i i think you know the sophomore cornerbacks i think are, are the ones that have probably impacted the most with isaiah rutherford kj wallace and cam hart um like you mentioned with mike mickens not being there uh, not being able to learn under mike mickens in his first spring with them and those guys having having some opportunities to prove themselves even working in the number one defense just uh it's going to be a uh a tough loss for them in terms of their development. Now, certainly any of these guys that we're talking about can, can make that up and, and improve on their own and, and be prepared. But I think we would have liked to be able to see how they were progressing in the spring. Um, I think Brendan Clark being the backup quarterback, I think this is really going to be a chance for him to finally work in the starting or the, with the offense in, in Notre Dame form rather than being a part of the scout team. Um, so that uh, is, is a blow to him. And like you mentioned, those quarterbacks are going to find people to throw to. Although I think, they'll probably be okay with maybe having some other guys that are from their area that are in similar situations that they can kind of work out with, even though that may not be what would be recommended by uh, health professionals at this time. But uh, I'm not as concerned about the offensive line. I think I wasn't really sure how much they were going to, how much progress they were going to be able to make this spring because of the injuries. Certainly we saw Robert Hainsey, and Tommy Kramer were at least in practice on the, at the first practice, weren't totally full go. We weren't really sure exactly how much they would be doing Aaron Banks being out as well. So I think those guys already have somewhat of a chemistry there. So it's not like they're um, if they were replacing guys as stars, I would be more concerned. Um, but I think the offensive line and the defensive line should be okay in terms of, or at least be able to handle this, this setback um, because they have some experienced guys there. They have guys that have played together before, um, certainly there's going to be guys that are going to be called on more um, than were in the past, especially on the defensive line. Um, but I think uh, at least when you talk about the starters, I think both of those units in terms of their backups could have probably used some, some guys getting ready because they could, could be a play away from making a lot, a lot more uh, impacts on the team this season. Um, so I, I think it's just tough. Like a guy like Isaiah Pryor who just, just uh, grad transferred in. He felt like he would get a chance to maybe work his way into the starting lineup at safety. And um, this puts him at a little bit of a setback. Um, it looked like it, it might not be easy for him to necessarily even pass up Houston Griffith on the depth chart um, based on the one practice we saw, because Houston looked pretty good. Um, but I, I think uh, he he's put in a tough spot there by um, not being able to take advantage of being here for the spring. Um, I think Maris Lufau is a guy who I thought had a pretty good, big opportunity, especially with Jack Lamb and Shane Simon out during the spring that he could really um, potentially show uh, 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 and compete to be in the mix at that buck linebacker position. That's one of the big, bigger question marks in this offseason for Notre Dame is who will be the answer there. And I think Maris Lufau and even Jordan Jim Marquis, who who's the older has had some pretty good opportunities that have been taken away at least uh, for the immediate future um, from them with, with the, the coronavirus uh, setbacks given to the whole football team. But yeah, it's interesting because 
everyone's sort of on the same playing field here in terms of college football. So it's not like these issues that Notre Dame are dealing with are, are greater than the issues that other teams are, are dealing with. So um, it'll be fascinating to see whenever we can get everyone back together uh, and be able to watch them practice what the, what the long-term impacts uh, of this uh, uh, canceled spring will be. Um, something I wrote this week um, was a, uh, a top 10 list of my uh, asking Notre Dame fans what their favorite play was. And I had asked it on Twitter last week and I got a bunch of responses. Um, I'm, I was curious um, if you had any surprises that didn't make the cut. I'll, I'll, I'll run through the, the voting. We had, You can vote online at ndmtider.com um, for the, the following 10 plays. And this is the current standings when I, as I look at it right now. The top play is Tom Clements to Robin Weber in the Sugar Bowl versus number one Alabama. Um, that had 208 votes. Um, Rocket Ishmael's second kick return versus number two Michigan is right behind him um, from 1989 with 191 votes. And there's a bit of a gap down to the Pat Terrell's pass breakup against number one Miami in, in 1988. Uh, the Tom Zipikowski's punt return versus number one USC. The only play on the list uh, to make it that came in a loss that has 110 votes. Um, just behind that is the Stanford goal line stand from 2012, which had 108 votes. Um, then a little bit of separation there between that and Brady Quinn to Jeff Samarja to be UCLA in 2006, 71 votes. Rick Meyer to Reggie Brooks in the Snow Bowl against Penn State in 92, had 69 votes. Then another drop down to Kaiser to Fuller to be Virginia in 2015. And then the bottom two were Sean Wooden's pass breakup to end the the win over Florida State in 1993. And then Eric Penick's 85-yard touchdown run versus number six USC from 1973. Um, Currently in last with 33 votes, but um, certainly uh, interesting to see how the the two plays from 73 at the top and the bottom, Tom Clements to Robert Weber, gets gets the number one nod there. Um, from the 73 season that would secure the national championship and then um, Penix run, which was a big uh, play in that game to beat USC and put Notre Dame in the national championship uh, kind of conversation that season. Um, and then uh, uh, that's at the bottom of the list. But what do you, is there anything from those, the results that have surprised you or is there any plays that you thought should have been included on the list that I uh, didn't include? Well, I, I saw somebody kind of critique you a little bit and s- seemed to feel like these were all modern Notre Dame plays. But, I mean, I think people wanted to vote for things that they had actually seen um, right. instead of George Gipp, you know, with the triple <laughs> Lindy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> something yeah, like Johnny that. Lujak tackling someone, yeah, which was a big play. But it was just, I mean, if you watch, if you watch the hot footage of it, it's not an impressive play compared to the football that we see today. Right. Um, I was impressed and a little surprised that people, the three that I would have thought were the three biggest plays ended up being the three biggest plays because people your age wouldn't have seen them. Um, right. And to be honest with you, the Clements to Robert, Robin Weber, you know, I was not even 10 years old. I don't think when that happened. And, sure. um, and so I don't remember it, but I've written about it. I mean, I, I did a book on a Where Are They Now book like 15 years ago on Notre Dame players, and Robin Weber was one of the chapters. And he's a fascinating guy and really funny. And he tells the story so well. And, and I think it's fitting because 
I feel like that play helped define Arrow's era um, mm-hmm. because had it not worked, you know, you you pull a national championship off the board for right. Notre Dame, and and so I was impressed with that. I thought Pat Carroll's pass breakup would have been two, um, just because that was the moment Notre Dame football came back on the map. And that was something that people in the early 80s, sports writers in the early 80s, didn't think would ever happen. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would have probably bumped that up to two. Certainly Rocket's second kick return versus Michigan was big. Those are, I mean, those three to me really kind of separate themselves from everything else. I remember a lot of the other plays, but and I was I covered a lot of the other plays, but right. I think you know those three stand out, and I was I thought it was kind of cool that that's the way the vote went. Yeah, you? I think I, I think it says something interesting. I, like certainly we I, I don't know for sure who's what are the age groups of the people that are actually will follow through and vote in the poll. Um, but I, I certainly when I asked for just suggestions on Twitter, I wasn't expecting a lot of older plays just because I assumed that most of the people that follow me on Twitter um, might not have been around or cherished some of those older plays as much. But I think it says something about Notre Dame fans that even if maybe they didn't they didn't they don't remember the Tom Clemens Robin Weber play, they grew up hearing about it or they can obviously you can see it on YouTube. And so it, I think just kind of the history and tradition of Notre Dame. I think a lot of that stuff gets passed down to, to fans, no matter what their age is. Um, so I, I think that has something to do with it potentially too. But I also think there were certainly plenty of people that thought, Hey, there should have been more older plays in there. Why, why are there multiple plays from the Charlie Weiss era on here? Um, so I, I think uh, it's, it's certainly, it's, it's an inexact science for sure. I, I just try to make a top 10 based off of the responses. And it's funny because the, the order I listed them in the story, the last one I had listed was the Rocket Ishmael second kick return. And that was sort of just based on the responses that I received. So it, it sort of barely made the cut in terms of the plays that I decided to include. And then it ends up right now it's running in second place. Um, so certainly um, people may uh, that respond on Twitter uh, may be different from the people that are reading the story and making sure they, they're, they're logging votes online. So it's been kind of interesting to see how that's gone. There's certainly a number of plays that I heard about heard from people about um i think one of the top ones that uh has been been asked to be included was the harry oliver field goal to beat michigan in 1980 um joe montana to chris haynes uh touchdown to complete the comeback against houston in the cotton bowl in 79 uh arnest battle uh his 60-yard touchdown from pat dillingham in the 2002 game against michigan state um stan smigala's pick six in 88 against usc so there's our number of different plays that um, there have been uh, some pe- multiple people reaching out and saying, "Hey, this one should have made the list." And certainly, I, I had considered, well, maybe maybe there's enough here of other plays that that got snubbed that I maybe I'll make another list because I've I've enjoyed hearing uh, from people and also kind of going back and doing a little bit more research. Then obviously, I've seen some of these plays before, but I don't necessarily know as much as the background as someone who who grew up a lifelong fan of Notre Dame. I, that's that's not me in this case, but. Um, I, I certainly don't have the, the knowledge and history base that some, some other people do, but it's been kind of a fun thing to do and go back and look at some of the old stories. And um, it's interesting because it's easy to find. It's, it's, it's pretty easy to find. Certainly we can find our own coverage of those games, uh, the older games, and then finding coverage from that was back when New York Times and the Los Angeles Times and those papers would come to these games and cover them um, with, with regularity, especially when Notre Dame was, was at its best. So um, it's been a little bit fun and experiment. I think we're going to try and, um, come up with some other lists to to put together during this time to get people uh, maybe 
reflecting back on some good memories and, and, and spark some conversation. I know you have a, a top 10 list coming up. I believe we'll be in tomorrow, South Bend Tribune and be online later today. Um, it's your top 10 surprises of the Brian Kelly era. Um, I guess let's do a little bit of a spoiler, I suppose. I, people might actually read your story before they end up hearing our podcast. But who, who, who in your mind is the biggest surprise of the Brian Kelly era? I ended up going with Drew Tranquil, and and I guess, you know, I try to define this for people. Surprise to who? Surprise to the coaching staff, surprise the media, uh, surprise, you know, the player themselves. Right. I, you know, I, I kind of left it open because I think different players touched the, those different things. I, you know, right. Drew Tranquil, I, I think what, Put him, and, and again, what they ultimately did to be successful. Mm-hmm. I, I asked Brian Kelly last year, um, who was the player that changed everything in his program? Who was the player that most impacted his program? And I, I was a little surprised, but not totally, that he said Drew Tranquil. And he said, not only in terms of his play on the field, but in terms of culture, that Drew Tranquil impacted the program that much. And this was a guy that Brian Kelly had to kind of pound the table for with some other assistants, including, you know, I don't know that Brian Van Gorder, the defensive coordinator at the time was real high on him. Uh, But Mike Elston and, and Brian Kelly kind of teamed up and overruled everybody else to take him. They didn't have really a scholarship set aside for safety in that class. And he was a safety when he came in our game, or the, that's what he was projected to be. And, you know, I mean, they plucked him out of Purdue's class. He was a three-star guy. Um, and he just turned into be such an amazing linebacker. Um, you know, after being recruited to play safety, he turns into this linebacker. I loved him as a young player and kind of envisioned him as a multi-level player and and Brian Van Gorder had talked about that some, but never really kind of put it into practice. It was it was really when Mike Elko came into the program that Drew's career took off. So for me, for for all those reasons, he tops the list. But you know, certainly there are walk-ons on the list. There are guys that change positions on the list. Right. Uh, it was a fun list to put together. I'll tell you the probably the guy that didn't make the list that I think, but I put him in honorable mention that I think people would be surprised that he's on the list is Mike Golick Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike was a three-star guy with not a lot of offers. I think he had two offers. Now he verbally committed pretty early, but it wasn't like people continued to offer him after he committed to Notre Dame. And I remember right. going down to San Antonio and covering the All-American Bowl down there and Notre Dame had like 14 players down there. And this is the Dane Chris, Michael Floyd, Darius Fleming, Kyle Rudolph class. And when I got a chance to meet all those guys, there's Mike Golick, and he was the only one that looked like a high school kid. Um, <laughs> and so he, I, I think people just assumed he was going to be really good. And even Mike Golick Sr. told me Jake Golick was the better athlete of the two of them. And, their, and that his daughter, Sydney, a swimmer, was the best athlete in the family. Mm-hmm. And Mike worked his butt off to become a starter, and a starter on a really good 2012 team. So I, I think that'll surprise some people. People don't know how far 
that guy pushed himself to, to go from a guy with a name to be a guy that made a name for himself. Yeah, I covered, I think, six of the ten of your top ten as recruits, so it was kind of interesting to see because I, I can remember sort of some of the reaction to when those guys committed. So certainly when Drew Schrenkel committed and, and flipped from Purdue, I don't know that a lot of people were like, oh, yes, we got this kid from Fort Wayne who was committed to yeah. Purdue. Uh, he's going to make a real difference in this program. Uh, so, and I think even then people were wondering what his position would be, um, and, and to see how he sort of, uh, put that together and managed to, um, develop into a, a linebacker first at Rover. And then as an inside linebacker, um, really says a lot about the work that he put in. Um, and, and certainly I think it's not that hard to understand the, the impact that he made in terms of a leader and stuff, just because you, you, you have one conversation with your tranquil and you're probably going to walk away, walk away pretty impressed. So, um, I think that was a, probably a pretty good pick there. One, uh, in terms of guys you didn't who you didn't include on your list, I thought that maybe Ian Book or Deshaun Kaiser could have potentially made the list. I thought both of those guys had pretty surprising yep. careers um, in terms of uh, what their expectations may have been. And even even when you talk about Kaiser, I think maybe his expectation as a recruit was a little bit higher than what it was when he was actually at Notre Dame. And then I think the expectation may have even lowered more until he actually was called upon and then, then really surprised all of us when he was able to step in in 2015 and replace Malik Zaire. Um, another guy I, I kind of wanted, I was like, I don't, I, I think I, I always thought Julian Love was going to be a good player. Um, and certainly there were mixed opinions on that, but I don't even, even myself, I don't know that I would ever thought he would have been a, a Thorpe award finalist and end up getting drafted in the first four rounds of, of the NFL yeah. draft. So even though he would be on maybe the higher end in terms of surprises, um, because it's not like expectations were really low for him, but um, for him to be a guy that didn't even uh, stay four years at Notre Dame, I think is a pretty surprising um, outcome to his uh, to his career. So I think it, it's kind of interesting where you can kind of run the gamut. You can talk about guys who are walk-ons like Chris Fink or, or Joe Schmidt, who obviously there, there were zero expectations for. Um, and then there's guys that maybe came in as, as having some decent expectations, but it even surpassed those. Um, along the way. So it's an interesting list. I encourage people to check that out on NDInsider.com this week. And hopefully we will come up with some more stuff to have you guys listen and certainly weigh in on and discuss uh, in the coming weeks. You know, right, um, go ahead. Real quick um, with Julian Love. Julian Love and Josh Adams are kind of guys that would have normally been on this list. And here's why I didn't include either of mm-hmm. them. Sure. They jumped out at me at the very first practice I saw them. I kept looking at my roster. Who's 27 for, for Julian? Yeah. And he just, he's, and so because he didn't surprise me, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was surprised because he was a three-star and that's kind of why I'm watching practice saying, how is this guy a three-star? Well, maybe it'll kind of settle in after a while. Same with Adams. You know, I, I pictured this guy that was that had some really good size. that was kind of a stand-up runner, and but he had this burst. And I'm like, wait a second, how is this guy a three-star? I know he was injured, but um, so those two at the very first, you know, fall practices and 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 the series of fall practices just kind of blew me away. And that's why they didn't make the list. Had I not attended those practices, <laughs> yeah. they would have made the list. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's good. Uh, good reasoning there. I know Josh Adams uh, was a guy that I thought Dexter Williams was definitely going to be better of the two when, when they were yeah. recruited, um, especially early on. 
Um, and I think you could maybe even debate whether or not who ended up having a better uh, or who was a better running back. I think Josh Adams certainly had a better career, but maybe uh, maybe even Dexter's ceiling was higher. He just never quite met that. But um, I, I was definitely that was I felt pretty confident that Dexter Williams would be more likely to have an early impact in his career. And it was, it was definitely wrong there in terms of Josh being able to do that. And um, Josh probably had a bit greater impact early on in his career than even I would have expected Dexter to. So uh, it says a lot to. Uh, to Josh being prepared and ready to go there, especially coming off a knee injury in high school. Um, and Notre Dame did a good job of identifying him as someone to not give up on um, early on in the recruiting process. All right, now it's time for questions. Just tell me when you guys, are, are we done with USC? Everybody's done. You guys are kidding me. That's all you want to talk about. All right, let's go. We're going to skip the place your bet segment this week. I, um, maybe maybe it'll be our one week off to to let the I, I'm sure there's people out there that are actually actual gamblers that are jonesing for some some action, but we'll we'll take that off for the week <laughs> and, and and skip ahead to some questions because I know we had a lot of questions from um, listeners this week um, and uh, in the second half we'll we'll be joined by Carter Carls to answer some re- recruiting questions. Uh, you can obviously submit questions to us on Twitter before each podcast. I'm at T James NDI and Eric's at E Hanson NDI. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Case at Irish Case 5 How much communication amongst coaches from other universities is taking place trying to figure out a way to maximize this time period? Well, I don't have a great answer for him. I haven't had a chance to talk to Brian Kelly yet. Hope to do that next week. I have talked to a couple of the other coaches, the swimming and diving coach and Muffin McGraw from the uh, – from women's basketball, it didn't seem like they were doing a lot of collaborating with coaches from other programs. It was more their strength and conditioning program, their their strength and conditioning coordinator really kind of had a good feel for where they wanted to go with things. Now, maybe though that's the level where there's collaboration that the, sure. the strength coaches are collaborating with each other and saying, what's the best way we can train these people in individual settings? but they've been very, very creative with us. And again, my hope is to talk to athletic director, Jack Swarbrick a little bit about some of this stuff, either late this week or early next week. Yeah. I imagine there's some collaboration in terms of the coaches reaching out to other coaches at other schools and saying, Hey, what are you guys doing? Do you have any good ideas? Um, Cause I think the coaching world certainly is very secretive at times in terms of protecting each other's secrets, but they're also open in terms of, finding ways to improve and, and getting better and being better teachers and stuff. So I think that especially in this uh, unique situation that uh, coaches would be open to sharing ideas and um, talking things through, I think letting teams figure out, figure everything out on their own is a bit dangerous in terms of what, what the NCAA is going to do in terms of setting up parameters. I think they need to figure out a plan. Now, certainly I think they have time to do that. And certainly there's, it's so hard to predict what is going to happen and how long, this will be impacting yeah. schools in terms of what they can and can't do. Um, but I, I think the NCAA needs to set up some clear parameters. So everyone's on the same page and I think eliminate as much conf- confusion as possible to make this easier on schools. But yeah, I think um, coaches and, and the strength coaches particularly are having to work pretty hard in terms of uh, communicating to their players, what they should be doing, what they can do, but also not pressure them to do stuff that is, is unsafe for them and unhealthy for them. I think that that come, that should come first in all this. Um, so I think we're, we're hope like you mentioned, I think we're hoping to get a better sense of what Notre Dame is doing in the coming weeks. To me, 
it's it was less important to figure that out right away because I think they need to all figure this out first before we ask them questions about what they're doing. Um, but hopefully we can get get more of an idea of how how this is how, how this is being handled on, at Notre Dame and um, what they uh, anticipate uh, the impact being and what they what they can do to to counteract that. Next question is from Josh Melton at Joshua Melton. What's been your favorite quarantine movie so far? And as a related ND question, do you think they will add practices to the summer schedule after all of this? Any idea? Have you, let's well, start with the movie. movie question, yeah, have you, have you watched the any movie movies? The question is easy. I have not watched a single movie yet during this. Um, I've more watched YouTube videos. And again, I've really been in contact, you know, talking with family and friends and so forth. So for me, there hasn't been. And I'm not a big movie watcher. I mean, usually it takes my grandkids to drag me to a movie to watch them. I, I do like movies, but I'm not a every week type movie person. I maybe I just don't have the attention span for it. But I, I'm proud of people that have that skill set. I don't have it, I guess. And then the other part was, um, do you think what, they'll add uh, practices to the summer schedule? I mean, they want to, and I think that they. If there's time to do that, they definitely will. Um, I think it'd be very easy to do it in June if and when the players are back during that time. Let's just assume that they are, that, that, that everything's safe to kind of proceed to do practices and stuff. Will they come back right at the beginning of June, the veteran players and then the freshmen get added in about halfway through the month? Right. And so generally they have OTAs without the balls. Without balls, um, footballs, you can't have footballs during those. Um, and certainly could, they could just add the football football drills in there as they are conditioning and then uh, maybe eventually go to pads at some point. Um, so I think that's doable. Brian Kelly mentioned July is really kind of the breaking point in terms of getting something in motion, the conditioning so that they would be ready for a fall camp. Otherwise, you know, from a safety and injury standpoint, you'd have to push back the start of the season to be able to accommodate that. So I absolutely think that if it's, if it's healthy to do so, the NCAA will structure something that makes it easy for schools to do this. Yeah, I think uh, Brian Kelly said last night on SportsCenter that he thinks college football programs would need to be able to resume workouts by July 1st in order to be prepared in, in time for the season. And I think that makes some sense in terms – I think he was kind of outlining a potential – a few uh, like four weeks to get in condition and then be able to start practicing. But I, I think you would like to be able to have some opportunities to maybe make up on some of those spring practices that were missed in summer. I'd be curious to see what they would do in terms of – combining that with the camp season that Notre Dame normally does for, for high school recruits. I think maybe they would condense that or, or maybe just make really long work weeks for, for the football coaches and the football staff. But, um, and maybe those guys would just be raring to do something by that time. And so they'd be happy to do that. But I think it, it's tough to know, like, I don't know what you're supposed to do in terms of how do you figure out or, or what are you supposed to do if like one person on your team is sick Um does everyone need to isolate them for the next two weeks or how, how do you handle that? I think there's a lot of unanswered questions in terms of when they actually get things rolling, what they would do in terms of how to handle all of this. So um, I think they're going to try to add it. I think that would be the preference for everyone, but 
Um, I think a lot, when we're talking about a lot of this, it's sort of a wait and see kind of thing. In terms of the movie, I haven't ever, I don't think I've watched a movie yet either. I've been catching up on TV, like I mentioned, uh, The Outsider, Westworld, uh, sort of the Netflix documentary that everyone's talking about, Tiger King. Um, so I uh, will be catching up on movies sometimes, but my movie going is usually to the theater. Um, and so not going to the theater is going to be an adjustment for me. Um, but uh, there's plenty of movies out there that I want to see. I just got to make sure I set, set aside the time to do that. All right. Next question is from Kevin Calabria. One, how many guys early enrolled and are they going to get, are they going to get any credits out of this mess? Um, well, there were 10 guys that enrolled early, including two grad transfers. And it sounds like they are going to get credit. It's, it's, sounds like Notre Dame is working towards a pass-fail structure um, just to to make the online learning experience since it's so new and just kind of thrown at people and so forth and probably not perfected, go to the pass-fail structure. Um, I don't know if they'll get an asterisk on their diploma someday, but uh, uh, I do think that they're going to be able to get their college credits for this semester. Uh, you know, based on what I've understood so far. How about you, Tyler? Yeah, I think classes resumed in an online format this week. So um, I, I would imagine that this won't impact their credit. Certainly if they're not able to perform in those classes as they need to, that would could impact them. And I think it's certainly going to be a challenge for some kids to figure out how to do this in an online way and, and uh, maybe not be as connected to the, the, the academic support system that Notre Dame has on campus. I'm curious to maybe learn more about what Notre Dame is able to do in terms of helping those kids virtually as well. So I know I saw uh, some Notre Dame students petitioned for classes to be formatted as pass-fail, um, and then kids could opt to do that instead. But I don't know if that will happen. Um, it, I think the biggest downside for the early enrollees is you don't really get to, to experience – I mean, certainly they were already going to class, but you don't really get to experience – for a long, for a very much time now, what it's like to go to class and do football at the same time at Notre Dame. And I think that's one of the big advantages that the early enrollees get um, by coming in, they, they, they get a day to adjust during a real semester. Certainly there's pressure on them to perform in spring practice, but it's not like they're in the middle of the season. So the, the pressure is off a little bit there. Um, so I think that's uh, unfortunate, but I think uh, they'll be able to roll with it. And certainly getting some of those credits out the way will help them in the long run anyways. Next question is from Dave Simono at DCimono66. What will be the impact of no further spring football upon the backup quarterback position? Well, okay, let's, again, we're assuming that we're not going to ever have a traditional spring practice. They're not going to finish those 14 spring practices. It'll be more just conditioning, and then they'll roll it into fall training camp. I think it's it's significant because, you know, certainly they can study film and they can even study film simultaneously on a Zoom meeting with Tommy Reese. Uh, but actually going out there and experience and getting the chemistry with the wide receivers and, you know, I mean, there's one thing called mental reps, but I mean, real reps are better than mental reps. So I think it sets back um, the back of quarterbacks. I, I guess the alternate news there is that other teams will be in the same position, but again, you don't have um, any experience really with those backups. Brendan Clark played 
a few mop-up minutes last year, and, and Drew Pine is an early enrollee. Um, but, you know, there's no sugarcoating it. I think it, it definitely sets that backup position back. It's a good thing you have a good starter in the end book. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's better that, that your problem is with your backup quarterback competition than your starting quarterback competition. Yeah. That would be much worse. Um, certainly, it's not going to be beneficial for Brendan Clark or Drew Pine. It probably hurts Pine more in that if he was going to be able to level the playing field in terms of potentially being the number two quarterback this fall, um, that he would probably need to establish himself as someone that could do that and, and move ahead, move even or somewhere close to even with Brendan Clark in the spring. Um, but it also hurts Clark by giving him a smaller window to build the confidence that um, they would want to see in him and getting to run with the offense and not on the scout team, like I mentioned earlier. Next question is from Pat Holston at ND Patman. What are the odds the season is not impacted by the coronavirus shutdown and starts and proceeds as scheduled? Well, I have not talked to Miss Cleo. Um, <laughs> and I think that's the only way we could get that. I mean, really, this is up to us and it's up to our country's leadership. You know, yeah. that, that's why it's difficult to predict what the curve is going to look like and what the end of this looked like. I, I read a story in the Atlantic and it was very comprehensive of how this is going to all end up and, and the factors in how those different scenarios will play out. You know, if you have the wherewithal to read that because it wasn't especially encouraging, but yeah, yeah not, it's I hard to find uplifting stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but 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 there was one encouraging scenario, and so I don't know. For me, it's hard to imagine the the season being as we saw last year with full stadiums and yeah. people high fiving and people, you know, crowding into a stadium and being two inches apart. I don't know. I hope I hope we get back to that. But I until we have a vaccine it seems difficult for me to picture that kind of scenario at this point so i'm just kind of taking things day by day um so i really wish i had an answer for you but i am not that clairvoyant yeah i think uh there's lots of people that don't necessarily have an answer for this and we're all trying to figure it out i, I would i would say it seemed like the odds are pretty high that it will be impacted in some way whether or not it's in terms of moving games or um changing the way that we're allowed to watch games and whether that fans will be allowed in stadiums. Um, Cause like I mentioned earlier, you're just figuring out what will teams be put at a certain disadvantage if, okay, they're given the clear to start practicing and stuff, but then they find out one player has the coronavirus, then does that wipe out the whole team then at that point? Does everyone need to stop practicing or do they just remove that one player from practice? How do, how do you figure any of that out? I think it's, it's, it's a, a really tough situation and um, they have to keep the, the athletes and their safety in mind first. So um, I'm not very optimistic about it not impacting much, um, but we will see. I, I think there's lots of uh, work to do uh, in terms of our, our society, in terms of helping prevent the spread and, and keeping people healthy, but also the scientists are hard at work trying to figure out the best way to, to, to come up with a vaccine or, 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 and, and protect as many people as possible. Next question is from another one from Josh Melton at Joshua Melton. If the Navy game can't be played in Dublin, do you have a bucket list alternate location you'd like to see it in? Well, again, I think my bucket list changes a little bit based on the current circumstances, but let's say it's, you know, 
they find a vaccine tomorrow and everybody goes back to regular life. You know, of all those Navy games that Notre Dame and Navy have played, there's not been one in Navy Marine Stadium yet. Um, yep. And I think that would be kind of interesting to see it there, even though it's a tiny stadium. Um, I think that would be kind of cool and kind of tip of the cap to the military. You know, I tried to think of other venues. And again, right now, traveling seems so foreign and so <laughs> off in the distance that we yeah. can do it. But I thought maybe Wrigley Field, if you didn't, you know, if they could work out, kind of have a regular size field in there, which I think they've gotten to that point. And a couple of places that I'd like to see that I've covered it, that I've enjoyed, are Baltimore and Philly. So, I mean, sure. Philly for the Philly cheesesteaks. Oh, yeah, we'd have a day with D'Alessandro's again. That would be great. Yeah, Baltimore. <laughs> I love the stadium. I love the vantage point there um, at, at, at the stadium that the Ravens play in. So I, I don't have a great answer there, but those would be my options at this point. Yeah, I think seeing them play at, at a Navy true home game would be pretty cool. Um, so that was one of my options. And I'd, any, I any, I really liked going out to San Diego uh, a couple years ago. So anytime anyone wants to send send me to San Diego for work, I'll gladly sign up for that. So those are the two uh, that that I came up with right away. All right, here enters the the silly portion of our uh, uh, questions from um, at one foot down. What was the best Brady Quinn hair year? I'll tell you what, I covered Brady all four years he was there, and his hair never kind of stood out to me. <laughs> and I didn't really want to go back and, and look at it. I mean, there's people's hair that stand out to you. I mean, it's not like he's Trevor Lawrence. Um, it seemed like he always had kind of a normal haircut. So I, I'm a little baffled by the question. I, I mean, I think it's I think we need questions like this. It's just I think we picked the wrong person to. <laughs> because his hair didn't seem to change a lot um, during the time he was there. How about you? Yeah, I, I went back and looked at our old photos in our photo archives because I wasn't covering Brady Quinn when he was uh, at Notre Dame. But he, it, it, you're right, it, it didn't really change that much. He, 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 it was, it was longer, but it wasn't like it wasn't Trevor Lawrence long or Jeff Samarja long. Um, I did know he, he tended to have the hair covering over his uh, over his ears quite a bit, um, so it was a bit shaggy on the sides there. Um, I, I thought uh, I saw a photo from the Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony. Um, I thought he looked pretty good there, so I went with senior year Heisman Trophy ceremony. Brady Quinn is his best uh, his best hair performance, but uh, I, I will hope, I, hope I, I can't. I won't say that I'm a, a hair expert as a lifelong buzz cut guy, so I can't I can't be uh, too uh, picky or uh, offer too much critiques when we're talking hair. Next one is from uh, at psully226. Name your top five indie players of the 21st century to be quarantined with for up to two months and explain why. Well, I'm going to go with Andrew Hendricks at the top of my list. He's in med school, so I figure if <laughs> there is a medical emergency, Andrew kind of figure it out. Plus, he's one of the coolest guys that I've met while I've been covering Notre Dame football. So even if he was, uh, you know, a journalist like me, I still think he'd be fun to hang around with. Number two, I went with Quentin Nelson. And I'm not exactly sure where we'd be quarantined. I mean, if we would be, like, exiled to an island. But if there were wild animals that came and tried to get us, that I feel 
confident Texas. Quentin would wrestle them <laughs> to the ground and, and save us. Um, number three, I went with Mike McGlinchey because we need somebody to kind of keep Quentin under control. And I also <laughs> think he's one of the finest human beings I've ever met. So I, mm-hmm. he, he wins on two counts. Of course, somebody asked a similar question about this. Uh, and and this hot air balloon on my list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hot air balloon. It was Lewis Nix. <laughs> of course, Lewis is coming there. He's going to make us all laugh. We can, I, I suppose, if we have video equipment, we can make, um, make <laughs> chocolate news. Lewis, chocolate <laughs> news. And then the last person I put on the list was Corey Robinson because I'm not sure that Corey Robinson is bad at anything. You know, he can sing. (laughs) If we needed to make bandages out of uh, leaves, he could probably do that. You know, so I I would want somebody with that high intellect and that creativity to be in my quarantine group. How about you, Tyler? Yeah, so I I try to get a good mix. So I, I, in terms of good guys that I think will be mature and be able to handle the the quarantine situation. I went with Drew Tranquil and Sam Mustafer. I, I don't think you're going to get too, too crazy with those guys. Those guys are going to be very mature. They're going to have, have a good plan for what we're going to do to survive and stay sane in this quarantine situation. So those are two guys at the top of my list. Um, I, I try to find a guy that I think likes me and that I get along with. Um, so I went with Ovia Gofu. I think uh, he's, I've, I always enjoyed covering him as a recruit and anytime I get a chance to, to talk to him or see him during his Notre Dame career. He's been very nice to me. So I figured uh, someone that would not maybe be annoyed by me would be probably a good person to have in this group. Uh, so I included him. And then I included two guys for some laughs. I went with Troy Pride Jr. and Chris Fink. I think both those guys um, like to like to have a good time and joke around a bit and uh, pull smart guys in their own right. So those guys would uh, provide plenty, plenty of entertainment. Um, so that was, that was sort of my starting five there for, um, the Notre Dame players that we could potentially be quarantined with. And I imagine both you and I would probably be the person that of their groups of six would be the person that they would want to kick out first. So we would, we would be in, we would be in a tough <laughs> situation there. All right. We, I think we've made Carter Carl's wait long enough. So let's get him on the line and start asking some recruiting questions. All right, Carter, thanks for joining us from Texas. I'm glad you were able to work out some time for us. I think, uh, plenty of people had some recruiting questions, so we wanted to get you on here. Let's start with one that we didn't receive um, from any of the questions that I saw. Um, the biggest news of the last couple of weeks was Notre Dame losing the commitment of four-star receiver Dion Colsey out of Athens, Georgia. Um, certainly a guy that Notre Dame likes a lot of top 100 receiver. Why did Notre Dame lose Dion's commitment, and do you think Notre Dame can get back in it with him and potentially, I guess, get that commitment back somewhere down the line? Well, this was a decision that he had been kind of regretting the last few weeks. This wasn't a huge surprise once it happened to Notre Dame's coaching staff and and commits, but I think his feeling was that he committed too early. He committed in October of of his junior year in high school, and, and he just feels like there's a lot of options out there, and he hasn't fully... Uh, given everyone a chance and and you see you saw how many offers he got after he committed uh, from some pretty big programs but um, I think the lore of staying home will always be there for him he attends Athens Academy right right next door to uh, University of Georgia some of University of Georgia's coaching staff their kids go to his his school Um, and so 
Uh, he's really close with that coaching staff. Notre Dame's still going to push for him, though, and they know that he's got um, a decent tie to the university. You know, his mother, I got a good chance to, to kind of get to know her a little bit better, and she actually grew up as a Notre Dame fan and really encouraged Dion to go to that school. Um, and so I think this was a decision that was pretty difficult for him. You know, he wasn't the guy who wanted to decommit. He, he wants to please his mom, obviously. And so I don't think this is a decision she particularly particularly agreed with, but they want to make sure that they give everything uh, the, the right shot. And so I think Georgia will be the favorite to land him, but um, certainly we'll see how his recruitment plays out with all these other schools giving him scholarship offers. Okay, Carter, I've got, a uh, question for you from JMK on Twitter. That's at Jay Kreef. Is this class trending for a big disappointment? No news in weeks to be excited about. Major recruits committing, leaning, trending elsewhere. And why? Was Long that great of a recruiter? And is Endy already feeling his loss? Lots to unpack there, Carter. Yeah, a lot to unpack. It's still pretty early in the, in the class, and, and there's going to be a lot that's going to happen. I think now, I think this football season, we've seen the last couple football seasons not be huge for recruiting for the cycle that that's coming up. But now I think that's going to happen. I think you're going to start seeing a lot of official visits during this football season. Uh, if it plays out that way. Um, but Notre Dame right now is in a precarious situation because they, they started, they were, they were number one in the class. Uh, late into the last football season, and they've plunged a little bit. They're at number five on 247, number nine on rivals. And I think the key for them will be to land Will Shipley, the running back out of North Carolina. That's that's their probably biggest target in this class. And then they've got to land a, a couple other guys. But even if they get those few guys, it's not a given that they're going to be a top five class, which is, is kind of the goal for, for Brian Kelly. Um, and so – I think the sheer numbers to begin with might make it difficult for them to, to have a top five class. I think they're only going to have 19, 20, 2021 guys or, or 21 guys they might sign in this class. And if you don't have a class with, you know, 23 to 25 guys, sometimes it could be hard to crack that threshold. Now, I also think as far as disappointment goes, they've, they've had two commits or decommits. Uh, Greg Crippen, they kind of expected. Deion Colsey was certainly a blow, but I'm going to be watching for two more guys committed to Notre Dame right now that I feel like could take visits elsewhere uh, in the in the coming months. Lorenzo Styles, wide receiver, and the tight end Kane Barong. Those are two guys that have kind of expressed that they're not ruling out taking visits elsewhere at this point. And if if one of those guys indeed went uh, to another school and ended up flipping their commit. I mean, you're talking about an even bigger blow to Notre Dame. And so I think at this point, it's, it's too early to tell, but they're certainly in a situation right now where they've really got to step it up in the coming months if they want to make this, you know, an elite class. Let's uh, follow back up there with the last part of that question was chip long. Does, do you think trip, uh, excuse me, Chip Long being gone has impacted this. Do you think that is related to this or is this completely uh, unconnected to that? Well, I think, you know, you're not going to see the impacts of that 
immediately, um, in my opinion. Chip Long was a fantastic recruiter, but you know they, they ended up getting Michael Mayer and Kevin Bauman signed. Kane Barong still committed this class, and they're doing a pretty good job as far as tight ends go. Uh, Thomas Fedone has Notre Dame in this top six. Uh, I think they're in a good position as far as tight ends go. That was his position. Um, offense, they, they still have a nice chance of landing Will Shipley. Uh, what made Chip Long such an effective recruiting, uh, an effective recruiter at the end of his time at Notre Dame, is he started to venture out more. He wasn't just recruiting tight ends. He he played a huge role in landing. Uh, Xavier Watts and Chris Tyree and a, a lot of these big names in, in the last couple classes. And so um, Tommy Reese is going to have to step up as far as recruiting goes. He's going to need to be involved uh, with getting guys, not just closing guys, but getting on guys early and really making a presence uh, in their lives. And, and so I think as far as the new recruiters go that are on campus, John McNulty, it's a little too early to tell with him, um, but Mike Mickens, I think, has made a really nice impression, um, and and I think Notre Dame has upgraded their uh, recruiting staff at running backs coach with Lance Taylor and the cornerbacks coach with Mike Mickens. So on paper, they should be uh, doing better. It just might not show up immediately. Uh, you know, these last couple months, I don't think, are really all that indicative of, of all these changes. Carter, I got one small follow-up on that. You know, I have a neighbor that lives behind me that's such a big Notre Dame fan. His dog's name is Rudy, and he wanted to name it Clawson. Uh, but <laughs> anyways, he wants to know, he wants to know why is this happening? Why are other schools able to gain momentum during the virus down time and Notre Dame maybe sliding back the other way a little bit? It's an interesting question, and and I think a couple schools that are really are are really emerging from this as you know benefiting is Ohio State and Clemson. But I think that's more indicative of their operations and and just how well they recruit, how far reaching they are, and how all over uh, guys uh, they are. Whereas Notre Dame, I think they're still trying to figure it out, and I think. What puts Notre Dame as at a disadvantage is they they really benefit not from the attention they give recruits, but from bringing them onto campus. You kind of have to bring them on campus and and give them a sense of what Notre Dame's about. Have them in the academics meetings. That's where it really makes a difference. You talk to a lot of these recruits and they'll say, "Man, when I went in that academic meeting, it was unlike anything I experienced." at any other campus and you know an academics meeting is supposed to be an academics meeting but at notre dame it's special you know just seeing the the rich tradition and history in person i think is is big and so when you can't get those guys on campus it really stings in that regard whereas ohio state clemson those guys where they benefit is how many resources they have and how much they just get after it i mean these these coaches on those staffs, um, they they spend a lot of time recruiting. Dabla Sweeney, I read the other day, Nolan Rucci, an offensive lineman that Notre Dame is really going after. He he met with Dabo Sweeney, head coach at Clemson, for like an hour conversation. He met with Clemson's president. He met with like every coach 
they gave him the full experience. And, you know, so I think those schools just do a better job of, of effort and, and really, really pulling out all the stops to make sure these guys feel like high priority. And where Notre Dame makes their difference, like I said before, was just um, kind of the mystique of the university, the academics, the spiritual aspect. And without getting a dose of that in person, you, you really can't get a sense of it. Carter, the next question we have for you is from Joe at Joey Salvatore. Um, and I think it's it's kind of related to to the previous question in terms of the Notre Dame struggling. He said, does it look like we'll get a, a commitment from any of the offensive line recruits that were slated to visit on March 20th through the 22nd, which was this past weekend, which was supposed to be Notre Dame's big recruiting weekend of the spring? Well, so there was going to be originally six offensive linemen, all big-time guys, four-star type players. Landon Tangwall, he just committed to Penn State today. Uh, Wyatt Milam, he committed to West Virginia. Blake Fisher was another one. He's already committed to Notre Dame. The three other ones that are uncommitted are Rocco Spindler, Garrett Dellinger, and Nolan Rucci, who I just talked about. Rucci, I, I think Clemson and Penn State are really heading his recruitment right now. Penn State's where his father played. Uh, back in the day. And then Clemson, I think, is recruiting him better and harder than anybody. Uh, Garrett Dillinger, I, I think he's someone that a lot of teams cooled off on after they saw sort of his injury, um, his injury concerns in the last couple of years. And so I think Notre Dame hasn't been pursuing him as much as some of these other guys. Rocco Spindler, though, is the guy that I'm really watching. I think if there's if there was a school that was his favorite, it was Notre Dame. I initially pinned him to, to commit to Notre Dame May 15th. That, that's what I predicted. That's the, the date he had chose to commit. But, but now even he has, has said, okay, well, now, now I want to make sure I take all my five visits, so official visits, so I don't want to make a decision by May 15th because I, I won't have taken all those visits by then. So um, even someone who I think likes Notre Dame as much as Rocco Spindler He's got to reevaluate everything. I think if, if I had to predict, I, I don't think Notre Dame gets Rucci or Dellinger. I think they get Spindler. Um, but, you know, coming out of this, this was a weekend last weekend where you thought Notre Dame, I thought Notre Dame could get three to five commits, not just on the offensive line, just, just all together with the defensive ends they had on campus and the 2022 guy they had on campus. They could have had three or five commits this week, and and now they might not get a commitment for another three months or so, which is, is pretty crazy to think about. Okay, we have a question from Patty Cakes. Why are kids making decisions during this break in recruiting instead of waiting it out and taking their previous planned visits? Well, I think a lot of kids these days, they, they, they know their decision well before some of them well before they actually make them you know they, they want to get the full experience they might be leaning toward a place but hey i mean who's going to pass up a visit in, in la you know or, or going to miami for a visit like who's, who's going to pass up on that so they, they want to make sure and they and they like being pursued but i think at a certain point you hear this a lot from recruits they say i want to get it over with because it starts to wear on them. It becomes a distraction. Um, and especially now, I mean, Ryan Kelly talked 
about this on uh, Scott Van Pelt's show last night on SportsCenter. He was saying that there almost needs to be some normalcy here because, you know, he was saying that he feels bad for these recruits because they're getting FaceTimes, they're getting texts, they're getting calls, you know, constantly because these coaches don't have much to do now. And so, yeah, I think a lot of these recruits are, are getting tired with that. They, they don't want to have to deal with the nonsense. They, they want to be able to live their lives normally and, and have some normalcy returned uh, to their lives. So I think a lot of these guys want to get, over, get it over with, and, and that's benefiting some programs like Ohio State. I'll add that I think they're probably pretty bored at home, too, so they want to just make that decision and get the uh, the praise that comes with making that decision. <laughs> yeah, true. It's, um, it's a dilemma. I'll add that it's certainly a dilemma for some guys. Uh, Will Shipley, the most notable one to me, he he, uh, he seems to be going back and forth about it. He, he wanted to make his decision in April. He wanted to take like five visits to North Carolina, Notre Dame, Stanford, NC State, Clemson. Now he gets none of those. And he was totally one of those guys who said, I want to get this over with. He's no nonsense. He just wants it done. But without those visits, he, he doesn't really have that clarity. So he's kind of back and forth thinking, well, you know, I think I know. But what if this visit makes a difference? There's, there's a lot of kids that don't want to go back on their word. They don't want to decommit. So they want to be 100% sure. And so it has been a dilemma for some kids having to decide. I'm 99% sure, but I'd rather be 100% sure. All right. Next question we have is from at AVBridges06. Have there been any talks about Notre Dame lowering its academic requirements this year, specifically for sports scholarships? Many of these high school student athletes will not be able to take their ACT, SAT as an example. Well, if that were the case, you know, and I think that would be a fluid situation, but I think that's something we would find out more in the coming months. I think there's a lot of other things they're considering. But what I'll say is, you know, I look, look this up, SAT has been canceled through May, but a lot of the guys that take the SAT, ACT, they take it their junior year. And so they still would have time to, to take it, you know, June, July or whatever it may be, before they actually have to be admitted in the university. So I still think there's time. Um, and, and I'll also add that Notre Dame accepts a lot of kids' commitments before they take their SAT and, and ACT. Now, certainly, they'll, they'll have to meet certain requirements. Maybe their, their PSAT has to be really good, or, or their grades have to be really good. So the projection kind of meets... Like, okay, if you have these really good grades, then you're probably going to have a good SAT. But I don't know if they're going to be fully on hold uh, because this might just be a two- or three-month deal, and then they could take it this summer. Okay, from Frank Sarah at Frank Sarah 3, are there, and you might have kind of answered this already, are there any commitments to ND recently or soon to be announced? Well, I'll, I'll answer that just by saying – Again, I, I think Notre Dame would have had three or five commits uh, in that last weekend had it happened. And, and two guys that I was almost certain were, were going to commit that weekend were David Aviara and Jason Anye. They're, they're two defensive ends this class. I really think Mike Elson was in good position to wrap up his defensive line class this month and, and maybe that weekend. Um, and now that's not going to happen. I 
I talk with with folks close to both of them. I talk with Jason Anye. He he says I really like Notre Dame. My high school is exactly like Notre Dame. Uh, I love the spiritual aspect. I love everything about it. I totally commit, but he hasn't been there yet. He has never visited Notre Dame. And how can you commit to a school that you've never been to? And so, again, it's the aspect of not having these visits or is killing certain schools because they've got to be there first. There's some kids that haven't been there. Uh, so Dave, uh, David Abiara, he had been there, but it was his first visit ever to Notre Dame. He didn't get to get the full experience. And really the key for him was he wanted to meet all of the recruits and all the players around Notre Dame that he had been talking to for weeks on end. And, you know, he, he had been talking with Blake Fisher and, and Gabriel Rubio and all these uh, commits at Notre Dame and was so excited about getting to know them and, and really the thought for him was well if I really feel at home if I feel close with them then I'll commit but but then he doesn't get that chance because that weekend got canceled so um yeah I think Notre Dame was really on the verge there of having a few commits and, and that fell through and I still think these are guys that are leaning toward Notre Dame and come the next chance they can they can take those visits um, I think they can commit. It's just a matter of Notre Dame continuing to pursue them and, and give the effort of, of trying to land them. Last recruiting question we have for you, Carter, is from at Greg Carton. Are you hearing any feedback about Mike Mickens from recruits? Are there any corners on our board he has already connected with while recruiting for Cincinnati? Well, I, I really like what Mike Mickens has done. Uh, his first month on the job, just really getting after it on the recruiting trail, seems seems to be putting in a lot of effort, not just evaluating and offering guys, but reaching out to guys and, and getting his message across. I've talked with a handful of cornerbacks that he's pursuing in this class. They all said similar stuff, like this is someone who's really passionate about what he's doing. He wants to get to know you on a personal level. And it's comfortable talking with him, and, and he's not bothering them all the time, but he's also making sure that he, he has some sort of a presence in their life. Um, as far as the Cincinnati connections go, he, he was really close with Devontae Smith, cornerback from Cincinnati, LaSalle High School. Um, but he committed to Ohio State. He was just a little too late um, in the process. He, he offered a safety yesterday, um, him and, and, and Terry Joseph did, who his uncle actually played uh, with Mickens at Cincinnati. So that, that's a little interesting. The safety's name is Terry and Arnold. He's from Florida. Um, so that'll be an interesting recruitment to watch. And yeah, he's, he's offered a few guys that he extended offers to at Cincinnati. Sierra Wright was one. And, and I think Sierra Wright will be um, the, the main guy to watch for Notre Dame in the coming months. As far as cornerbacks go, he, he's probably – their most important cornerback target at this point. He's out of Los Angeles. Notre Dame's had some issues recruiting Southern California in the past. And if Mike Mickens can pull it off, if he, if he can land him, Notre Dame, I think that would be a really great start for him. Okay. A non-recruiting question from Andrew Callen from ACAL1. Which regionally available restaurants are in your top five? And we'll do this kind of lightning round style. <laughs> I didn't give this a ton of thought because I didn't want to get hungry. And I knew I had a lot of writing <laughs> ahead of me. 
So I just, in no particular order, put Rocco's, Texas Roadhouse, Brio, Frankie's which, for our uh, rib tips, and Portillo's. That's a solid list. What do you, what do you got, Carter? I'll, I'll save mine for last. All right, so um, I'm with Eric, Frankie's Barbecue, the rib tips, absolutely beautiful. Um, Cambodian Thai, big fan, love the spicy food. I love crying when I eat spicy food, so it's great. CJ's Pub Burger, um, probably the best burger in town. And just I, I just like the place. Portillo's uh, can never go wrong there. Um, and then I wanted to throw a chain in there. I just, I can't imagine my life without this place. And the, the past few weeks have been tough without it, but Chipotle always going to win my heart. I love everything about that place. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went strictly local for my top five. And these are I, certainly during this time, I've been trying to support. These are the ones that I like, okay, I, if I'm going to make a, an effort to get takeout from certain places, um, during this coronavirus time, which which places am I going to prioritize? And these are mm-hmm. five that I've, I've I had on my list: Evil Check, um, not too far from me; um, Chicory Cafe, um, both in downtown South Bend and in Mishawaka. The Diner on Twelfth is certainly a place where you'd have to know where it is to to locate it, but the very good food, especially the stacked ham sandwich. On Twelfth, uh, yeah, on Twelfth. <laughs> uh, uh, Monterey Mexican Bar and Grill, uh, a staple of our. Uh, uh, what we would do during football season for weekly meals and uh, heavenly goat, another brewery uh, not far from me as well. So those are my, our top five. And I, I felt that we couldn't end this podcast without with Carter as a guest, without asking a food question. So I think Carter, this might be the first time in a food. I didn't disappoint podcast. y'all. Yeah. I was just going to say that one of the, one of the, the first, maybe the first time that you didn't disappoint me in a food related podcast question. So, so we well, appreciate it. Y- you know what restaurant I almost chose and, Eric would have just shaken his head at me. Like, what are you, what are you even doing? Like hang up on this guy. <laughs> I, I honestly considered McDonald's. I'm going to admit. <laughs> I was very close. Hang up on him. <laughs> <laughs> can never go oh. wrong. All right. Of that, course that's you can. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it for this week's episode of Pot of Gold. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Leave us a review or rating if you like what you hear. Um, let us know how often you'd like to hear from us during this time. We're certainly plotting ideas to keep you guys entertained in the coming weeks, but um, the frequency at which we record will likely depend on the interest and feedback we receive. So if you want to hear more from us, let us know. If you have topics that you think you'd like to discuss, guests that you'd like us to get, um, we are open to suggestions. And so um, we will be in touch with you guys later. Stay tuned on IndianInsider.com for all the all the coverage we'll be providing. And stay safe and stay healthy.